Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. Hello to those of you in our online campus. Thanks for joining us there and in our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option. If you have small children, you prefer to keep with you during the service. And I got to tell you, uh, this is a historic event coming up. It's, it's almost uh, here. It's something that uh, millions of people celebrate every single year. It happens every single spring, and uh, millions and millions of people look forward to it with hope and anticipation, and uh, obviously, I'm talking about the final four. Come on, baby. Let's go. Uh, March Madness. It's college basketballs, uh, uh, men's basketballs and women's basketball uh, tournament. It's the final tournament of the year. And for those of you who are not, you know, college basketball enthusiasts, uh, just imagine the, uh, the World Cup and the Masters tournament and uh, the World Series and the Super Bowl and the Grammys and the Oscars all rolled into one. And you just begin to scratch the surface of what is March Madness, okay? It's amazing. It is my favorite sporting event of the year. You start with 68 teams. Everybody plays against one other team. You lose, you go home, season is done. You win, you march on uh, until the last two teams battle it out for the championship. It's unbelievable. My favorite couple of weeks of the year uh, of sports. And uh, Jesus loves me. This I know for March Madness tells me so. (laughs) It is fantastic. And uh, what's crazy is... March Madness, a couple of years ago, uh, obviously in 2020, I mean, we actually had uh, one of our staff members that went to the Big Ten tournament, drove down to Indiana, and was sitting in the stands, and the whole thing got canceled. They were like, nope, no game today because of COVID, and everybody just, everybody go home. And so that year, there was no, uh, there was no March Madness. There was no Final Four. And then, uh, you know, the last, couple, last year was kind of weird, and, you know, at empty stadiums and all this kind of stuff. So this year, it is back. And uh, it... So we're looking forward to it with anticipation. So for those of us who are college basketball enthusiasts, it's been a couple of years. It's been like three years since the full thing uh, happened. And so I'm super excited. But whether or not you're a college basketball fan, we all know what it means to wait for something and to anticipate something. And uh, I got to tell you, my bracket is not looking very good. But I did take Duke to win it all. And they're still in it, baby. Let's go. Coach K, I'm riding that all the way. I'm hoping that he goes out on top. It's his last year. And... uh, Man, I'm excited. But we all have something that we're anticipating, don't we? We all have something that we're looking forward to, something that we're like hoping will happen. And in the meantime, we're waiting and we're anticipating. And and there's this season of waiting. Uh, For us, it's really interesting. Uh, This is also obviously the time of year where we celebrate Easter. And there was a season for us as a church. uh, Many of you are aware of this. Maybe some of you are not, that we were portable as a church for 13 years. And so for 13 years before we got into this building, we rented buildings and facilities around our community, uh, from Community Ed Building to a movie theater to Big Woods Elementary, Middle School East, Middle School West. Uh, we did different events at um, uh, Fieldstone and at different City Hall and the old fire station and the gun club. I mean, we rented every building in town that you can rent. And then for 13 years, we, we had people driving trucks and trailers to the school at six in the morning. And, you know, 
it's a little brisk out today. It's, it's, uh, it looks sunny and beautiful. And then you get outside and you're like, that's shockingly colder than I thought it was going to be. But, uh, but imagine like for 13 years we did that and, and there'd be days where it's 40 below and we got people starting up trucks and trailers and driving stuff to the school. And so uh, eventually we said, we got we to gotta get a building of our own. And for a lot of you, you were here during those seasons. And for a lot of you, you weren't. We had several buildings that we actually put offers in on and actually offers that were accepted that then fell through. And so you can imagine there was a few years there where uh, I, would, I would come before like the church like this and go, guys, we put in an offer on this building and it's accepted and this is going to be so exciting. Only to have to come back a couple of weeks later and go, oh, just kidding. <laughs> Didn't work. Fell through. And that happened a couple of times. And then I just learned to just stop saying when we actually got an offer on something because it inevitably fell through. And this happened like two or three times. But during that season, one of the things I kept saying was, Easter in the new building. Easter in the new building. It's going to be great. And then another year would come by and I'd go, no, this is going to be the year, Easter in the new building. And it's kind of like it it jinxed us in a sense because everybody knows, anybody who's like a, a college basketball or even NBA basketball fan knows that when a guy or girl is shooting and they've made like 100 free throws in a row, if the commentator mentions that, they will miss that shot. That's just how it works. Everybody knows that. And so it's like you're watching the game and you're like, oh man, he's a 87% three point, or free throw shooter. And uh, man, he's actually shot uh, 147 in a row. And it's like, no, don't say that. And sure enough, clank, right? Brick. That's just how it works. It's the, it's the jinx. Everyone knows that. And so this became the jinx for us. It was like Easter in the new building, make an offer. Yes, it's going to be Easter in the new building. Fall through. And just this happened to us, and it happened to us. And so uh, eventually, uh, they just were like, our staff was like, stop saying that. Stop saying Easter in the new building, right? As we're waiting and waiting. And so finally, it was like, oh, dude, we got land, Easter in the new building. And then, and then we had, our building got delayed, and it got delayed, and it got delayed. And so finally, like, we owned this land in 2016, and we didn't build until 2019. So that's three additional years of owning land and going, Easter in the new building. And so finally, 2019, we got in, and we, we owned it, right? And it was 2019, and we go, yes, Easter in the new building, baby, 2020. <laughs> so there's something to this jinx thing, okay? I'm just saying. And so you can imagine, I am looking forward with anticipation to this Easter. Because even last Easter, everything was weird. You know, everything, we were still kind of, you know, everybody was very, very cautious. And we were still doing limited services and all. And, and man, so this year, it's like, all right, baby, Easter in the new building. Let's go. So we'll see. We'll see if this jinxes us or not. But... These are honestly, like, these are great examples of anticipating and waiting. And we know this is true, but the reality is, what about those times when you're waiting for something and it's difficult? You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and it seems like you're not getting an answer. What, for some of you, maybe you're waiting for the healing of a loved one. And I know that we have friends right now that we're praying with every single day and we're praying, God, heal my friend, heal my friend. And, and it just, you're waiting. We're in the season of waiting for some people in my life. And maybe some of you the same thing. You've got some loved ones and you're waiting and you're hoping, but you're just not sure. You're, it's this season where seem, everything seems to be on pause. Or, or maybe you're waiting for a new job opportunity. Or maybe you're just waiting for any job opportunity. 
Maybe you're waiting for that relationship that seems to be broken to be mended, and you're, and you're in this season of waiting where you want reconciliation and you want peace, but it's just you're not there yet and there's tension. Or maybe you're anticipating that day that uh, your loved one will, will finally turn towards God and say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're waiting for that loved one to say yes to Jesus again, to come back to God. Or maybe uh, you're just waiting for a breakthrough in a certain area of your life. You're waiting for just, there's some area of your life where you, it seems like you just can't seem to get over this hump and you're going, God, help me, help me, help me. And it just seems like you're in this season of waiting. Or maybe you're waiting to have kids and it hasn't happened for you and you're waiting and you're, you've tried everything and you're praying and it's just the season of waiting. And some of you, you're, you're waiting for the kids to leave the house. You're like, please, Lord. He's 37. And what we cannot deny is that waiting is a big part of the human existence. What we learn very early on as kids is we recognize, we learn that we do not get everything that we want when we want it. It's a part of growing up, right? We start out and it's instinctual. We, 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 no one teaches us the words no and mine and now. Like we, we just want the stuff that we want when we want it. And yet we learn that we don't get what we want when we want it, and that doesn't make us very good at waiting, especially in a culture of convenience. We have instant coffee. We have streaming music. You don't have to load the CD or the record player or whatever. You just tap a button on your phone. You can listen to almost anything you want to. We have automatic windows on our vehicles. It's amazing. And now, it's not just automatic. Like, it's like one touch. It's like you don't, you don't even have to hold your finger there for the duration of the ride, you know? It's unbelievable. It's like we went from, I, there was a time several years ago when my son rode in one of the trucks with me when we were uh, loading the trailers, and it had a crank on it, and he was just like, what is this? He was just stunned. But then we eventually got to the point where we're like, I can't put my finger here and hold it the whole time. Can you just let me click it and go down and like meet me halfway? Am I right? That's where we're at. <laughs> we, we, we get fast food from a restaurant, but it's not fast enough, so we can't actually go into the building, so we're just like cut out a hole in the side, and we drive up, one touch, give me my food, right? That's, that's how convenient it is. And we make deposits by taking a picture on our phone. We don't go into banks anymore. Uh, we got DVR so that we don't ever have to watch a commercial. We just are, a, we're a culture, of like we want it now. It's why every single box of cereal in my house looks like it's been opened by a rusty hacksaw. <laughs> it's like... Cereal, I need it. <laughs> and we want what we want, when we want it, and most often that when is right now. So we're not very good at waiting. And what happens is we tend to carry that attitude with us, that sort of that posture, we bring that into our spiritual life. And sometimes we find ourselves in a season of waiting and then we're going, God, I don't, I don't like this. So rather than just waiting and learning to wait and, and learning to trust in God's timing, more often than not what we do is we impose our obsession with now on God. And we just go, okay, I, I want what I want now, and God, you're not coming through, and like, what, where are you? What's going on? But we would be so much better off if we could learn to understand the reality of why we wait for things and what's actually going on behind the scenes. Because here's, here's really what it is, and I want to encourage you to write this down. If you're taking notes, put this somewhere this is an important thing for us to remember and understand. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. 
Okay, well, that's confusing. What do you mean by that? Well, when Jesus was here on earth, he said the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. But then he also said the kingdom is coming. He said both of these things. And it's like very confusing. It's like, okay, Jesus, which is it? Is it here or is it coming? And Jesus is like, yes, exactly. <laughs> You're like, okay. And here, here's the reality. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And those are really interchangeable, and it depends on uh, whose, whose account you read. So Matthew refers to it in one way and, uh, because of his audience, uh, and Luke and Mark and John refer to it another way because of their audience. But basically, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, we oftentimes end up thinking about it as this place we're going to go to when we die. That's kind of our context for it. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not referring to this location that we hope to get to someday. He's talking about a way of living. So when he says kingdom, you have to think about it like this. The kingdom, like we live in a kingdom right now. The United States is a kingdom. It's, for all intent and purpose, it's got a, a rule of living. It's got a way that we operate. There, there, are, uh, there are laws and guidelines that this is how we operate as citizens of this nation. And what Jesus is saying is this kingdom or this, this, this God nation, this Jesus nation, this Jesus kingdom, it has a way of operating. It has a way of living. It has a way of, uh, uh, there's guidelines and there's, there's ways that this kingdom operates, that this Jesus nation operates. And so Jesus is saying, look, this isn't just about a location that you get to someday when you die. This is actually a way of living that you can participate in now. That's really important because that's the now part. So, so Jesus, it's this paradox because the kingdom has already come, but yet there's this promise that one day he'll come again. And so the kingdom of heaven has already come. That's the now part. And it began with the birth of Jesus and his life and teachings and his death and resurrection. And we celebrate that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has now come. We do that last week when we celebrated water baptism with people who said, look, my, my old life is gone. My new life with Jesus has come. That's because the kingdom has already come. And these are people who are stepping into that and saying, I want to live as a part of this Jesus kingdom, this Jesus nation. I want to do that. And so through Jesus' death and resurrection, we experience new life. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that, that gives life to us, that sets us free from the darkness of our own hearts. And so the kingdom has come. That's good news. But at the same time, the kingdom is coming. That's the not yet part. Right? And, and Jesus came first to redeem us, to set us free, but then he's going to come again to redeem and renew all things, everything in the world. Everything will be placed under the loving lordship and authority of Jesus, and all things on earth will be under his authority and under his lordship, and he'll remove all sin and all spiritual darkness that still remains. And that means that this creaky knee of mine that goes every time I walk upstairs, Ain't going to creak no more. That means your arthritis is going to go away, right? No more cancer. No more sickness. No more disease. No more COVID. No more division. No more hatred. No more violence. No more darkness of any kind. Everything. When, when the kingdom fully comes, when heaven fully comes to earth, everything will come under the loving lordship and authority of Jesus. And all things will be as they should be. The kingdom is coming. And yet here's where we live. We live in the now but not yet. 
We live in the messy middle. The kingdom of God is now and not yet. Let me give you an example of this from world history. One of my favorite uh, series is Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers is a series that follows Easy Company from the Army's uh, 101st Airborne Division as they make their way from D-Day to V-Day. So they storm the, the beaches of Normandy until the treaty is signed. And if you've never seen it before, it's this war movie. I, I would gather all your young children together and watch it as a family. It's, it's incredible. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, but D-Day, June 6, 1944, the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. And every historian says this is the day that the war was won. This broke the backs of the Nazi forces and immediately sent them in retreat mode. And yet, here's what we know, that the, the battles continued to rage on for a, almost a year. Because it wasn't until V-Day, or Victory Day, May 7th, 1945, this is the day that the peace treaty was actually signed. And sadly, there was a lot of fighting, and there were more people killed between D-Day and V-Day than all the other uh, parts of the war combined. Which means... It got a lot worse before it got better. So the, the war had essentially already been won, but it got worse before it got better. And just like that period between D-Day and V-Day, we live in an in-between period as followers of Jesus. Jesus has won total victory for us. The war is already won. The battle's already won. Darkness is extinguished. It, Jesus has already overcome the forces of evil and the forces of darkness through his death and resurrection. Death, cannot be, death has been defeated. And so we, we recognize that, and the war has been won. The spiritual darkness in our lives can be removed. We can be reconnected with God. Death is defeated. The kingdom has come. Yet, our world is still broken. Yet, death still comes for us in our physical body. Yet, that final victory hasn't arrived. All things are not yet renewed and restored like they one day will be. And so, we wait. We're in this messy middle. We're in, the, we're in the now, but not yet. Very, very much like a half birthday for a five-year-old. <laughs> like when my son was five, he wanted to make sure everybody knew. Like, how old are you? He's like, I'm five and a half. Okay, this, this is very important at this age, okay? I never tell people, I'm 42 and a half. It's, it's, it's not important to me. It's actually much more important that I'm not even close to the half, but you need to know that. But... Five and a half, right? Why? Because it's like, when you're that age, you want people to know, like, dude, I'm not five, okay? I'm, I'm getting closer to six. It's important. You need that information. And that's where we live. We live like, like already five, not yet six. The kingdom has already come, and yet it's not fully renewed. All things are not fully renewed. And the Apostle Paul is a guy who was a follower of Jesus, who started churches all around the, the Roman Empire in the first century. And he writes to people living in the Roman Empire about this very dynamic that we still experience. And here's what he says about this. He says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He says, even earth itself is groaning in pain. Long, it's longing. Creation recognizes that everything isn't the way that it should be. Even creation recognizes that and longs for that. And he continues, and we believers also groan. People who have put their faith in Jesus, we groan even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory. A foretaste is a sample, right? We get a sample of future glory. We've experienced God's grace and forgiveness and hope in our lives. And his spirit is in us and, and helps us to live like Jesus. So we have this foretaste of what the kingdom one day will be. 
and yet it's not fully here. So he says, we have this foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So how do we do that? All of us experience waiting on a global scale as we wait for everything to fully come under the loving lordship of Jesus. And yet, as individuals, on a personal level, all of us experience seasons of waiting in different arenas of our own lives. And so the Apostle Paul says, when you're looking forward to it with hope, you, you wait patiently and confidently. And yet, uh, sometimes my question is, how do we do that? How do we, how do we wait with eager hope when we find ourselves not only in this season of global waiting, waiting for the kingdom to fully come, but waiting for the loved one, waiting for a relationship, waiting for a breakthrough, waiting for whatever it is, and we find ourselves in the messy middle, how do we wait with confidence and patience? And so I want to give us some simple practices, three simple things, and this is something that we can do together in this Lenten season. This is a time for us to specifically, we set aside time and we practice these things during Lent as we anticipate Easter. And so here's the first one. Uh, number one, we remember the past. We remember the past. This is part of what this Lenten season is all about. We look back and we remember what was accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we remember and we reflect on what Jesus did and what it means for us and the promises that were given. But this is really, really important. We don't look back just so that we can wallow in the past. That's not the intent. But rather, we look back in Lent so that we have more faith to look forward. That's the goal. And as followers of Jesus, we look back and we remember what God has done for us in the past. And oftentimes what happens is it gives us courage for the present and hope for the future when we look back, because we're in the messy middle. And so here, here's why this is really helpful, because it reminds us that God has actually brought us through seasons in the past. And I think sometimes when we're going through something, it's difficult to see that. When we're going through something, our eyes are kind of blinded, and even, even as we look back at our past, sometimes we're not aware of the fact that God has actually brought us through other seasons. But our eyes are just not aware of it. We're, we're just not thinking in that mindset. And when we're in the middle of a valley, when we're in the middle of a, a difficulty, a trying season, and it feels like we're waiting, and it's difficult to envision the other side, in seasons of waiting where it seems God is not moving, and God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers, and it seems like God is distant, and I'm going, God, where are you? And it, it's important to remember the times in our past when God has shown up and God has been faithful. In fact, it's one of our greatest tools to rekindle our faith and calm our anxieties and our fears about the future is to give us perspective, is to remember God's goodness and faithfulness and his love to us in the past. And if you're struggling right now, if you find yourself in a season of waiting, if you find yourself just wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see what I'm experiencing? Do you not, do you not understand like, how difficult this is for me? Number one, I want you to know, it's perfectly okay to express that to God. God can handle that. But secondly, one of the things that can really help us is to look back and go, you know what, God? I felt this way 
at this time in my life, and, and you brought me through that. And I felt this way at this time in my life, and you brought me through that. And I felt this way here, and I remember it didn't seem like there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but then you brought me through that as well. And so as I look back, I, I can recognize over and over again, you've shown up, you've been there, you've encouraged me, you've helped me. And if you're struggling right now, I want to encourage you to do this. Take some time, and I'm not a journaler, so I'm not saying you have to turn yourself into a journaler. But I think what can be helpful is actually journal the seasons where God has brought you through in the past. And read that to yourself throughout this Lenten series and this Lenten journey as we lead up to Easter and remind yourself, you know what? It feels like God's distant, but the truth is, that's right. He brought me through this and he brought me through that and he was there for me here and there was a light at the end of the tunnel here and man, when I remember the past, it actually gives me courage for the present and hope for the future. I love these verses from the Psalms. Psalm 20, it says, uh, this is uh, King David writing, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, chariots and horses were how you showed your wealth and power in the ancient world. And David says, man, some people trust in chariots and some people trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I think if he was writing today, he would say this, some trust in bank accounts and stock markets but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in houses and cars, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in their social status or their physical appearance, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some have put their trust in government or cryptocurrency, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The Apostle Paul is writing to this group of people. And he, he says this again in, in his letter to people living in the first century in Rome who are followers of Jesus. He says, we know that in all things God works for good with those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can look back. You can, lo you can look through these things and go, that's right, that's right, that's right. Remind yourself of the past. And this verse reminds us that God works in all things. In all things, God works for the good. In all things, God is working. And throughout the scriptures, this is what God does. He takes the bad situations and he transforms them for good. Life out of ashes, beauty out of despair. And he loves to take the negative situation of life and redeem them and turn them for something good. But here's the reality. It's difficult to see that. It's very difficult for us to open our eyes and be aware of that reality when we are in the midst of a season of waiting. When we're in the midst of a season where it feels like there is no end in sight. So one of the most helpful things you can do would be to look back and remind yourself how God's been faithful in the past. And maybe you'd say this. Maybe some of you are here today or you're watching online and you go, you know what? I don't, I don't, think, there's, I don't think God's ever shown up for me. Like I look back, I don't, I don't know that I can point to a season where I feel like God's brought me through, where I feel like God's been there for me. I've been on my own. All I know is this. Somehow you're here today. Somehow you're watching this online. Somehow somebody sent you a link. Somehow you stumbled across our website. Somehow, somehow, somewhere you joined us here this morning and, and you walked into a group of people who want nothing more than to embrace you as part of the family. And so I don't know specifics about your past, but somehow God brought you to this moment to be reminded that he is with you and that he is for you. So recognize Maybe pray this prayer. God, open my eyes to see you working even when I, I don't realize it. And remember, look back and remember, okay, there's some times that God has brought me to this point. So we remember the past. But here's another thing. Number two, we embrace the present. 
We embrace the present. Embracing has everything to do with trusting God in the messy middle. The now and not yet. The in-between time when we've been given a promise, but we have not yet seen it fulfilled. That one day all things will be as they should be, but they're not yet. And so until that happens, we push in that direction. We live towards that reality. And there is a really big difference between embracing and enduring, right? Embracing is active. Enduring is passive. To endure just means I'm simply going to get through it as best as I can. It's all about surviving. But embracing is all about changing your perspective. It's actually about thriving in the midst of a season of waiting. And to endure is passive tolerance. Well, I can't do anything about it. I may as well just do my best to survive and get through it. And endurance, there's nothing wrong. It's not a bad quality in and of itself. But as followers of Jesus, we are not called to simply endure. We're called to actually embrace these seasons so that we can move forward. Passive tolerance is a lot like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Everybody remembers Eeyore, right? He was such a jackass. No, that's what he is. He's, he's, a, he's a depressed donkey, if you didn't know. And... He's always passively enduring. He's the, forever the martyr. Christopher Robbins would walk by and just be like, good morning, Eeyore. And Eeyore would respond, yeah, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. It's like, oh, come on, man. He's like, the, he's the original Debbie Downer, you know? And when we experience seasons of waiting, God's best for us is not simply to endure. Just like, yep, okay. God wants us to embrace it. God wants us to recognize, you know what? I can actually embrace this season, that something good can come of this, because even if God doesn't change everything around me, God's working in me. He's doing a work in me, and that doesn't mean we celebrate. I'm so excited about this season. It just means that we shift our perspective to recognize God is working. And so the Apostle Paul, he's continuing to write this letter to people in the Roman Empire. He says this, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop perseverance. They help us develop grit. They help us develop stick to They help us shift our perspective, right? And perseverance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, look, when you face these things, I know our temptation is just to, you know, turn kind of sour and eeyore on these things. But the truth is, you can actually embrace this because God is actually doing something in you, even if he's not changing everything around you. Uh, It's this exact idea that gave King David the ability to write this in the 23rd Psalm when he says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. David had the ability to say, even though everything around me looks like chaos and it looks like death and it's darkness, you are with me. I trust that you are with me. I embrace the messy middle. And I I don't like where I'm at, but I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to embrace the present because I trust there is something bigger going on that I can't see. And I'm not just going to survive. I'm going to embrace, I'm going to embrace the idea that God, even though I, I don't feel like you're working around me, I know you're doing something in me. And this season is shaping me to become more like Jesus. So I'm going I'm to persevere and I'm going to embrace whatever is going on right now, knowing that you're doing a work even though I can't see it. And so we remember the past. We remember God's past faithfulness and we embrace the present for the messy middle. And then number three, we anticipate the future. 
We anticipate the future. This is how we're able to remember the past. This is how we're able to embrace the present is by anticipating the future. And during this Lenten season, we pause because we want to remember what Jesus did for us. And we embrace the present reality of our lives because we anticipate the goodness of God that will be revealed on the other side of our waiting. And that is what brings us hope. Paul says we can look forward to the time when Jesus will return and Jesus will renew and restore all things and all things will be as they should be. We have, Paul says, a hope that will not lead to disappointment. Paul reminds us everything will not always be messed up. And one day everything will be made new. And Paul says the reason it hasn't happened yet is because the world has been disrupted by sin. And it leads to violence and injustice and darkness in our world and darkness in our own hearts. But the God of hope does not give up easily. The God of hope has found a way through. It's found a way to you and me. And Paul says it it came at great cost to him. Here's what he writes as he continues this letter. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And then he says this, and I think this is fascinating. He says, now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Now, think about this. You're like, okay, who who would I die for? Who would I be like, yeah, I will die for you, right? Like, okay, my wife, uh, most of my kids. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My wife, my kids. Uh, You're like, okay, what else? Like, Like my best friend, right? The, the neighbor four houses down, you're like, oh, I mean, I kind of know them, but oh, will I die for them? They're probably a good person. What about a complete stranger? Well, what about a, a convicted murderer? Like, okay, whoa, hold on there, buddy. But this is the point Paul is making. He's saying, look, most people wouldn't really even be willing to die for a good person that they know. And he says, maybe, maybe, You might die for someone who is exceptionally good. But he continues, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, God didn't say, Hey, get your your, act together and and get your slate cleaned and, and then maybe we'll talk. While we were still sinners, Jesus stuck his neck out for us, for you, for me. Why does hope not disappoint? Why can Paul say with confidence, we, this hope will not disappoint us? It's because every, not because everything in my current situation is going to work out exactly how I want it to. Hope does not disappoint because Jesus, as an act of complete grace for sin-soaked and sin-damaged and sin-stained people like me, chose to give his life, chose to suffer, chose to enter into the darkness, enter into my weakness, enter into my brokenness, into my suffering, and show his incredible love for you and me. But here's why hope doesn't disappoint. It's because he rose from the dead to show his incredible power over the things of this world. And that's why hope does not disappoint. Jesus died not for virtuous people and not for worthy people and not for righteous people. Jesus died for sinful, messed up people like you and like me. That's good news. The answer to human suffering is not simply, well, I better just endure tough times. The answer to human suffering is love, love that entered into our suffering, love that entered into our brokenness and suffered with us and then promises that one day everything will be made new. Now, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. 
And uh, here's a couple of things I'm going to ask. Number one, would you invite a friend to join you? Because there are people who will say yes to an invitation at Easter who may never say yes any other time of the year. There's just something about Easter where people are more inclined to an invitation. And what we're going to do is we are going to present the message of Easter in a clear and compelling way for your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members. So I want to I invite you to invite someone on Easter. And we're going to have five services because we want to make sure we have room for everybody. So Easter weekend, Saturday, 4.30 and 6. Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, 11.30. Now here's the other thing. We have a lot of kids at this place. It's awesome. And you guys just keep making them like crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And uh, so here's the deal. Five services means we're running full children's programming at all five services. That means adult volunteers at all five services for every single kid's room. So it's, it's, a, it's an army of volunteers. So I want to ask this. Would you, consider, would you consider serving at Easter one time? doesn't mean you're joining the kids serving team on a week-to-week basis, but just going, you know what? Because I want to make sure that we have enough for everybody and room for everybody and that people's kids are getting a great Easter experience while they're in here. Uh, I'll, I'll serve at one. And if that's you, then before you leave today, just write Easter kids on the back of your connection card. Easter kids. And all that means is I would be willing to serve at an Easter service. That's it. And uh, so you'll serve at one and attend a different one. Here's the second ask. Uh, well, so invite a friend, Easter kids, and then potentially... Uh, here's what's going to happen because this is just it's human nature. So 4.36, 8.30, 10.00, 11.30, that 10.00 o'clock service is where tons of guests show up. And so if you're like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to go to the 10.00 o'clock service. Last year, uh, the 10.00 o'clock service was the same size as 8.30 and 11.30 combined. So here's what I'm going to ask you to consider. If this is your church home, would you consider going to an off-peak service? 11.30, 8.30, and maybe doing your Easter kids serve at the 10 o'clock so that we can make sure that all of our guests have an incredible experience and, and, and get this message of God's love for them so that we all partner together to make this an incredible environment on Easter. So would you consider those things? And here's why this is so important. This is why this matters. When you think about the Easter story, when you think about the two biggest moments of Jesus on the Easter story, it's the cross and the resurrection. The cross shows us the worst that our broken world can do, the murderous and torturous death of an innocent man. And then after Jesus' death, there's waiting. All of his disciples, all of his followers were waiting. This is not how it was supposed to end. They were waiting. They were doubting. They were going, okay, God, where are you? This isn't supposed to end this way. What's going on? And this is not the way that they thought things would go. And yet, in the waiting, God was working. And three days later, God took the worst and he turned it into the best. God took the cross and he turned it into resurrection. And this is why this matters. And this is why you can have a hope that doesn't disappoint because you can remember this. When we are waiting, God is working. When we are waiting, God is working. Easter weekend is a microcosm of how we live every single moment of our lives. Easter weekend goes from the absolute worst to the waiting to the resurrection at its best. It goes from death and the death of a dream and the death of everything that you hoped for and the death of everything you thought would be and it's, and it's now buried in this tomb to a season of waiting to all of a sudden resurrection and hope forever. And this is where we live. We, this, this is our lives. The, the kingdom of Jesus is now but not yet. 
And we're in this messy middle where we're going, okay, God, I'm glad, I'm so thankful for your mercy and your grace and the way that you've loved me and brought me into your family, but I want all things to eventually be renewed and restored and the earth to be resurrected and everything to be made whole and new. And in the meantime, we wait. But here's what Easter reminds us of, and this is what the Lenten season reminds us of, is that in the waiting, God is working. And when we're waiting, God is working. He never stops working on your behalf. And it doesn't mean that everything works out the way you thought it was going to work out. It's bigger than that. It means that the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. And so Lent is a season for us to remember, to be reminded, to remember the past, embrace the messy middle, embrace the present, but live with anticipation for the future. And as we approach Easter, we want to spend time doing that. And it I want to encourage you with this as we close. If you've never said yes to following Jesus, this is what you need to know. That Jesus came into our world. He allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. But according to multiple, multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means death is not the end. It's been defeated. And you have been invited by the God who created you and loves you into relationship with him. It shows that there is no, there is no point in our world that Jesus will not descend to to initiate relationship with you and me. And that he has the power to overcome the things that are bringing death and prison and darkness to us. And this is what's amazing about this. You don't earn your way into it. It's not, hey, do this, do this, do this, and then God accepts you. God says, no, I accept you as you are. And so follow me, and I want to show you how to live. How to, how to live this kingdom out, how to participate now, even as you look forward with anticipation to what's coming. If you've never said yes to that, you can do that. Right here, watching online, just say yes to this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, and I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And I pray, adopt me in your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to... to enter into this kingdom way of living. I want to be a part of this Jesus nation, this Jesus family, and live life your way. And so help me to put my trust in you. And when I face this messy middle, give me hope for the future. And God, we're, for those of us who are doing our best to follow you, to put our trust in you, I pray open our eyes to see the times in the past where you have been faithful, the seasons you've brought us through, the times that you've shown up. And I pray, help us to embrace whatever season of waiting we're experiencing, that, that messy middle, even as we look with anticipation towards that day when all things will be as they should be. And may our lives reflect that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.